So you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. I'm going to just read a few verses out of chapter 2 to start. This is to honor God and to, to glorify Him. Daniel says in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank you and praise you, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made me known or has made known unto me now what we desire of you. For you have now made known unto us the king's matter. It's wonderful to be able to have access to this God. That Daniel is a man. And the Bible says that God does not have preferential treatment to people. Now he does raise people up for specific tasks. But Daniel is telling us that there is a God who desires intimacy with us. And if we will dwell with him and abide with him and pray and enjoy his presence... God will show you things that there's no other way you could know. He would speak things to you. He would share secrets with you. God knows what's in the darkness. And there is no darkness or light with God. Nothing clouds his vision. And he desires to share things with us. And so I just encourage you to dwell close to God, to be a person who prays, a person who loves intimacy with God, who loves the Lord, and just dwells with him. Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, there's going to be a day where people are ever learning, but they're no, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Um, and so perhaps you're very interested in prophecy and you're looking to learn more. What good is that if we don't come to the knowledge of the truth? And Jesus is the truth. And so it's coming to the knowledge of the Lord. And so that is my desire as we go into this this morning. In chapter 8 of Daniel There's another thing that I do want to bring to your attention as we begin this study in prophecy. He says in verse 19, behold, this is God speaking to Daniel. I I will make you know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. And I want you to know that there is a time that has been appointed by God. Jesus even made reference of this when he said, my father knows this time. It's already been set. It was set before the foundation of the world. Um, God has foreknowledge of all things. He's never learning anything. He's not strategizing this as he goes along. He, He knows what he's doing. He sets kings up. He takes kings down. He changes the seasons. God does all of this. And there is a last day. Both Jesus and Peter prophesied and warned us that the most important truth of our day would be the one that was most overlooked, ignored, and laughed at. And that would be the return of Jesus Christ. That many people would mock this end times event. That it would not possibly be in their day. People, Peter said, would be willingly ignorant of these events. And so it's my desire just as a pastor to serve you so that you will not be willingly ignorant 
and that there's this opportunity for us to learn through the scriptures what God is telling us. But every tick of the clock is moving us to that appointed end. Every tick of the clock. And so there are events that are unfolding. And as oftentimes as in my spirit, we have no idea how quickly the world can change. We have, well, we might have an idea of that. We've experienced some of that just a few years ago of how quickly the world can change. And we understand that when we leave church this morning, there could be events that have unfolded in our very nation that we weren't necessarily prepared for. I mean, there are people talking about a civil war with Texas and the federal government. Um, Who's going to fire on who first? And so there's so many disturbances that are going on in our nation. Tonight may not be like this morning. You may wake up tomorrow and the whole world is different. God knows what he's doing. And the best thing that we can do is walk with God, make sure we're in the will of God and we're serving the kingdom of God. This is very important. And so there's no time to put off what you know to do that's right. There's no time to put off living in faith, serving the kingdom of God and being prepared to meet Jesus Christ. Because one thing's for certain, you're going to meet him. You're going to meet him in the air. You're going to meet him through the grave. You're going to meet God face to face. And you want to be prepared when you have that appointment with God. Daniel was also told, he said in chapter 12, verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. And so there were things that were held here in this book of Daniel that were, were mysteries. And I would not, uh, I would certainly understand that there's still many things that are possibly in this book that are mysteries that we suppose that we like to study, we like to contemplate, but we may not know exactly for sure what some of these things are talking about. Other things we can know for certain what he is talking about. We know that the end has come. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up, this is 2,000 years ago, and Peter made reference to the book of Joel. And he said that in the last days, God would pour his spirit out. And Peter said, this is that. And so 2,000 years ago, Peter, by the Holy Spirit, marked that moment as the last days. And so we believe that there is a great revelation given to us, according to what Daniel says, about the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. There would be an increase of knowledge. There would be an increase of travel. It's been amazing to watch what has unfolded in some of our generations, uh, the things that we have seen. You know, not long ago, men were confined to walking, to mules, to camels, to horses. It hasn't been that long since the combustible engine, the industrial revolution, where the car was invented. Not long after that, the aircraft was invented, jet airplanes launching satellites into space, man actually going to the moon. These things happened in a relatively very short period of time in human history. And the prophecies of Daniel said that they would be and knowledge would increase. I don't even know what the rate of increase is today with our computer systems and our AI technology But I I do understand that many leading advocates in science are very worried 
about the advancement in AI technology. We'll, we'll get into some of that when we look into the book of Revelation. But if you want to see how remarkable the Bible is, I would just reference really quick a passage in Zechariah. Um, and if you just want to listen to it, you can. This is in Zechariah 14, and this is a prophecy given thousands of years ago um, about a particular type of warfare that will do this kind of damage. And it was unheard of in the days of the prophets. It was unheard of, you know, in the, the early 1900s, it was unheard of. But this is the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. And they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor. And his hand shall rise up against the hand of the neighbor. This is just, this is warfare. This is nation against nation, tribe against tribe, people against people. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. In other words, that just as the men are going to literally dissolve on their feet, so will the mule, the camel, the ass dissolve while they're standing there. And we understand this today is possible through nuclear warfare. Um, how, how could Zechariah have even contemplated such, such um, weaponization of, of nations that could bring that kind of devastation? Only God in his foreknowledge who knows the end from the beginning can make such a declaration. And now we are a people that live in the possibility of that type of warfare and catastrophe. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, in, in Revelation chapter 13, there is something here that I also want to bring to your attention. He says in verse 3 of Revelation 13, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. And I want to focus on that. The world wondered after the beast. And it says in verse 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spoke as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. And causes the earth and them which dwell in. Therein in the earth to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of all men. And deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. 
saying to them that dwell on the earth and they that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And this is remarkable. This is absolutely remarkable about the worship of this image that is going to be created. Um, I've oftentimes thought about that contemplating what it must be, you know, in, in our society today, I don't think any of us or our world would be too impressed with somebody creating a statue that had the ability to speak. This is an image that somehow is going to be given life. And it's going to be so profound that the whole world is going to worship this image of the beast. It's going to be phenomenal. It has been said by critics that there's no way that our advanced civilization today is going to worship an image. But honestly, this is probably, this, this age is probably the most image-worshipping age we've ever had. We, we live by the worship of image. Young people dress to the image of what they worship. And, and oftentimes, you know, people that worship celebrities or sports figures often take that image on themselves. We're, we're, we're really big into that. Kings and princes and, and, and political uh, leaders all over the world literally take a pilgrimage every year out into the woods and, and strip naked and hug trees in the worship of nature. You would be surprised at the names of people that do this. And, and to think that, that humanity would not worship some image, but what could this possibly be? That's probably one of the mysteries that still may be sealed that we don't quite understand. What is this image going to exactly be? However, Elon Musk is working on technology right now that would cause a human to be able to be part human and part AI. We've already understood that science has been able to clone living organisms. It certainly would not be unbelievable for science to clone another human and develop in that human AI technology and, and declare that to be the next step of evolution and the whole world worships that creature. There, there are so many options now for our minds to just go to of what that image could possibly be. But guys, this day is upon us, and I want us to understand it. And that's why I'm excited to get into this study and to bring this attention to you. If I can, one more scripture I want to look at before we really dive into Daniel, and it's in Titus chapter 2. And I would like for you to turn there and read it with me. So just take a moment and find that place, Titus chapter 2. And... In this passage of scripture, Paul makes this declaration beginning in verse 11. And he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God. I, I just I want to underscore that how important grace is. And I rely upon God's grace for everything. And primarily for this series that we're going to be doing. Because I, I want to caution you with something. Now the grace of God that has appeared, verse 12 says, it teaches us. 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what grace does. It teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to deny ungodliness. But not only does grace teach us how to live right, grace also teaches us in verse 13 to look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the appearing of Jesus, not the second coming of Jesus. We'll study that as well. But the grace of God teaches us to look for the rapture of the church. That's what grace teaches us. That's the expectation that grace brings and the hope that grace brings to us. That's the lesson we learn from grace. I am not, and I want you to understand this, it's not my intention or my desire to come to you through this series and try to manipulate you through fear by teaching prophecy. I've, I've oftentimes seen that done. And I believe it causes more damage than it does good. I'm going to rely upon God's grace to teach you. The power of the Holy Spirit to teach you. I don't want to try to manipulate you with fear, news, facts, things like that. I, I pray these things will startle us. I pray these things will make us think. I pray these things will make us go to the word of God and not look for another news story. But go to the word of God and find out from God. And like I said, when we first read in Daniel chapter 2, that we would dwell in the presence of God, that he who sees in the darkness will tell us what he sees. I would pray that we would dwell with God and let God lead us. And so I pray that this study will cause you to be aware of how, I don't want to say dangerously close we are, but how dangerously close the world is. To the greatest judgment it has ever seen. And how wonderfully close we are to the return of our great God and Savior. Therefore, time is short and we must be busy about our Father's business. I do not believe that people who are moved by grace to believe in the blessed hope of the church sit around just looking for an escape out. I believe they're the busiest, hardest, most faith-driven people on the planet. Doing everything they can to advance the kingdom of God and bring as many people into Christ as is possible. You will find this through grace. And I pray that we will have that. Um, I want to go back into Daniel now. And I want to talk to you. I'm, I'm going to probably start in Daniel chapter 7. But I want to tell you a story out of Daniel. And the story is this, that Daniel was led as a captive into a country called Babylon. Babylon was a world power at that time. God had given, because of Israel's sin and rebellion against God, God had given Babylon power to overthrow Israel. That's the only reason Babylon could, is because of Israel's rebellion. And God allowed this king named Nebuchadnezzar, who was the emperor over Babylon, to gain world power. And his kingdom was a great kingdom. It was a wealthy kingdom. And he was a great king. And he overthrew Israel. And he took people into slavery. And Daniel was one of those young men, probably a teenager, who was brought as a slave into Babylon. But he was 
He was brilliant. He had such promise in his life that they brought him into the king's court. Now, long story short, one night Nebuchadnezzar was sleeping and he had a dream. He woke up and he didn't remember the dream. He just remembered that I had a dream and it troubled me. And so Nebuchadnezzar called together, which in his kingdom there was a lot of witchcraft. There was a lot of fortune tellers, if you would, tarot cards and all kinds of things that, that go with witches and the occult. Magicians and all of that. And he called them all into his court and he said, I had a dream. And they were excited about it because they would want to interpret the dream and, and be, have recognition. But Nebuchadnezzar said, here's the problem. I don't remember my dream. So I want you guys to tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And all of these magicians and astrologers said, that's impossible for us to do. Nobody can do that. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, then I'm going to kill all of you because you're no good. You're no good to me. And so Nebuchadnezzar was serious and he had um, started this, this chain of command to kill all of the magicians and all of the astrologers throughout all of the land of Babylon. But when it came word to Daniel, Daniel sent a message to the king and he said, my God can tell us what you dreamed and he can tell us what it means. And so if you will spare us, and he also asked for the life of all of the occultists. I mean, he, he said, don't kill them either. You know, what mercy. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, all right, if your God can do this. And Daniel said, our God is the God that can. He's the only one that can. He's the only God. And so Daniel seeks the Lord and he comes away with the understanding. And what Daniel is shown in, in, in this story is Daniel is shown the four really five world empires that are going to be on the earth. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, what you dreamed was this huge statue. And the statue that you saw had a head of gold. And he said, you, O king, are the head of gold. Babylon was the head of that statue. But there's going to come another kingdom of silver. Not quite the worth and the value of your kingdom. But it's going to have power. And this kingdom's going to come and it's going to overthrow you. And this is going to be the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And many of you have been very familiar in history with the Persian Empire. And they're going to come and overthrow Babylon. And then there's going to be another kingdom that rises up and it's oftentimes symbolized in Daniel as a leopard because it's going to be so swift and this would be the kingdom of Greece with the brass abdomen and hip area of the statue. This is, this is, this is represented by Alexander the Great who would march through the earth and have world domination faster than anybody else, but his kingdom would be very short. And then Daniel said the last part of the image was a kingdom of iron that is stronger than all of the others. And it is going to overthrow the Grecian Empire. And this is the Empire of Rome. And Daniel very carefully says that 
there's something you need to know about the feet. Because the feet of this image is made up of the feet and the ten toes. And the ten toes are mixed with iron and clay. Very important that Daniel brings this out. And then Daniel said, but there was one other thing. There was a stone kingdom that was cut out of a mountain, not by man, and it struck the image in the feet. And the image collapsed and it dissolved and it was no more. And that stone kingdom dominated the entire earth. And so these are particularly five kingdoms. The United States is not mentioned. As proud as we are of our country, our country's in trouble. We think as Americans we will always have the favor and the blessing of God on us. And I would pray to God that we would, but... The lack of attendance in prayer meetings shows us how desperate we are for a revival in Christianity in America. But America is not mentioned in this prophecy as a world empire. But these four nations that I would bring to your attention, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Grecian Empire, and the Roman Empire, are the four primary empires that God recognizes. It is an amazing feat for Daniel to make this prophecy before it ever happened. To be able to call upon these global powers that are going to rise before they even existed. The greatest critics cannot believe that Daniel wrote this beforehand. They believe he had to have done it afterwards. But we have through those that study and through historical evidence that Daniel did write this way before. So I want to go into this, what he saw, because he writes about it more in his book. And we're going to chapter 7. And I want you to see this in verse 15. In Daniel 7, verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body. And the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by me, and I asked him the truth of all this. And he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High, don't just assume that's the church. If you will recall from our study on the church... That we just ended. No prophet in the Old Testament ever saw the church. So Daniel is not referencing the church. He's referencing the people of Israel. The church would not be revealed till the apostle Paul was given the understanding of the mystery of the church. According to Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. The word saints means a holy people. A separated people in Israel is a holy nation and it's a separated nation unto God. And God has a covenant with them that he will keep. And so it says in verse 18, the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron 
And his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell. Even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things. Whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Until the ancient of days came. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise and another shall rise after them and he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings. You can reference this in Revelation 13. John speaks the same thing. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit. And they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Let's reference this even more detailed in chapter 8, verse 19. And he said, Behold, I will make you know what shall be in the last End of the indignation. For at the time appointed the end shall be. The ram which you saw having two horns. Are the kings of the Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. And the great horn that is between his eyes. Is the first king Alexander the Great. Now that being broken. Whereas four stood up for it. Four kingdoms shall stand up. Out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice And shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also. He shall cause craft which is tricks and deception and miracles. To prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken without hand. John said in Revelation 19, when the prince of princes comes back, it's a sword that comes out of his mouth that deals with this Roman prince. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. 
And afterward I rose up, I did the king's business, but I was astonished with the vision and none understood it. And so you see this detail that Daniel is giving about the rise of this empire. And I want you to understand that Daniel in describing these four kingdoms that are going to come talks about a kingdom that is going to be established that's dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. And the people of that kingdom, the saints of that kingdom, which is referenced to Israel, is going to be able, is going to have the rule of that king throughout all of the earth. And that is going to be the kingship of Jesus Christ when he returns to the world. I want to read this passage to tie that together in Daniel chapter 2. I want you to see as, as this is explained about the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ and when it comes. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, the Bible says, Now this is the, the, the image that Daniel saw of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Verse 33 says, His legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. You saw till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and broke them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together. And became like the chaff of the, of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away. That no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain. And filled the whole earth. In verse 44. And in the days of these kings, this is the interpretation. In the days of the, or let's go to verse 43. Whereas you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain. And the interpretation thereof, sure. This is going to happen. Nothing's going to stop it. It is going to take place. And so I would say to you, and, 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 and I've got to bring this to a close this morning at this point, which is not a bad point to close with. I want you to understand that the world empires that are prophesied of in the Bible is the kingdom of Babylon, which is gone. The kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, which... As far as a world power, it is gone. We still have a Persian empire in Iran. And then we have the Grecian empire, which is gone, but we still have Greece. So these countries still exist, but they don't exist as world powers. And then we have the country of Rome, which has imploded upon itself. But the country of Rome was never overthrown. It just imploded upon itself through corruption. 
uh, a direction that we in America are kind of lining up with, just like Rome did, that's the way we're going. An implosion that could possibly happen to the United States of America. But Rome was never overthrown by an outside country. And in God's prophecies and in this revelation, God is telling us that this, this Roman Empire is going to exist all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to return specifically when that Roman Empire is constituted of ten kingdoms. These will be European empires brought under the headship of Rome. And when these ten kingdoms have federated themselves together, a king is going to arise that we identify as the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be, I would say, demonically, satanically possessed. Not just demon-possessed, but Revelation 13 says that the dragon, who is Satan, gives the Antichrist his power. And Satan himself is going to possess this man. He is going to have incredible wisdom, incredible charisma. There is going to be a false prophet that has an enormous amount of power. That is that when he's in the sight of the beast, he can work miracles and, and do all sorts of things. That the whole world is going to go after this Antichrist. Out of those ten kingdoms, he's going to rise up. And three of the kingdoms are going to give their power to him. And there will eventually be seven kingdoms that, that move in the power and the authority of Antichrist. Once again, from a Roman empire that, that has global domination. It's not the United States. It's not China. It's not Russia. Look at Europe. Look at Rome. That's where it's going to happen. That's where it's going to rise up. And this kingdom is going to rise up. And in the establishment of that kingdom, when those ten kings are set in place, three of the kings give their power to Antichrist, it is in the times of those kings that Jesus brings his kingdom to earth. And when Jesus brings his kingdom to earth, as the Bible says, we read it, that that stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, this is not a man-made kingdom. This is God's kingdom. It strikes the image where? We would think that if you want to destroy something, you would hit it in the head. Hit it in the heart. But Jesus doesn't come back to establish his kingdom when Babylon is a world empire. And he doesn't come back to establish his kingdom when the Medes and the Persians are ruling or when Greece rules or when Rome has its initial rise to power. But Jesus will establish his kingdom at the end of the age when Rome is established as a ten kingdom confederation. Then Jesus Christ will come back and strike the image in the feet. And when he strikes it in the feet, all of those kingdoms dissolve to nothing. And Jesus sets up his kingdom. And his kingdom expands throughout all of the earth. And the kingdom is not going to be given to nations. 
It's not going to be this nation ruling and that nation ruling and this like, like human history has experienced all of his life. It's not going to be nations ruling. We just read that. It is going to be ruled by Jesus Christ through David by the nation of Israel throughout all of the earth. Israel is the primary player in regards to God's kingdom and the rule of Christ throughout the earth. Israel, as far as the nations are concerned, Israel is the primary player. And if you want to really have your pulse on prophecy, be careful with the news that you watch. Be careful with the fascination of people that surmise and think, and maybe this, maybe that, what about this, what about that? And just look at Israel and watch Europe. Look at Israel and watch Europe. Watch Rome specifically. Because the Antichrist that comes will rule from Rome. He will rule from Rome. And there is biblical evidence and truth for this. Because the Bible says, and we'll, we'll get into this in Daniel. But the Bible says that the prince will come, speaking of the Antichrist, he will come from the people who destroyed Jerusalem. And Titus, the Roman governor in 70 AD, destroyed Jerusalem. And the prince, the Antichrist that will come, shall be of that people. I'm not saying he's not Jewish. But he will come from that area. He will rule that empire. So we're going to stop here. I hope it whets your appetite. Get into the book. Get into Revelation. Correspond what we just read with Revelation chapter 13. And I pray it will be a great blessing to you. Father, I thank you for giving us such a true word that, Lord, as Satan and other things, media, distractions, politicians would point their fingers at things that are moving in the earth, we know where to look. We know what to watch for. And, Father, we thank you that grace also teaches us to lift up our heads for our redemption draws near. Help us, Father, to be redemptive. Help us, Lord, to have the same kind of mercy that Daniel had that would even desire the lives of occultist, demon-possessed witches to be spared and not killed. Father, give us that mercy to see people saved. I pray you bless this study and help us, Father, with an opportunity to understand it by the Holy Spirit. I give you the glory. I give you the honor in Jesus' precious name. Gone a little bit long today. If you just stand with me. I would just like for us, if we can, I'm just going to close us this way today. I would just like us to lift our hands to the great God. And I would just like us to give him the praise. As the Bible says in Revelation 5, that they are around the throne of God. And they are bowing to him, falling on their faces. They stand in front of him. They lift their hands. They lift their voices. And and just say it with me as best you can remember it. Thou art worthy.